Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, I'm Matt Greenio. I started the Group Hugs podcast to find out more about all the artists and musicians I've met, worked with, or become aware of in the course of devoting my own life to music. With the help of my co-host Alex Tyke, we've embarked on a quest to uncover the origin stories of musicians everywhere in their own words. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. I'm here today at Diamond Street Studios uh, interviewing another independent musician who's come to talk to us. His name's Chad Shivers. What's going on, man? Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, thanks for coming over. Uh, it's August in Georgia. It's finally over, so I don't care if it's still a little balmy out. I think <laughs> it's jacket weather, officially. Um, I find that I, I lose less money and keys and, and credit cards <laughs> when I have jackets, Uh because that, that, for me, works as a man purse. I've done the thing with the fanny packet in the man purse situation, but the jacket just seems to be, it has turned out to be ideal for me. Yeah, yeah. and you're looking sharp today, I got to say. Like, like chain wallet, I will lose the chain and the wallet. You know, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work for me. Um, so I have asked a lot of people these uh, these questions. Um but I always like to start at the beginning of a, of a musician's story. I mean, I, I don't know everything about you. I just know that you're a guy in a band that plays with some friends of mine, and I've heard some of your records or, or some of the records of the artists that you're in. And uh, we, we got some mutual friends, but I, I, there are people I've known for a long time that I know very little about and people I've just met that I know very little about. So let's start at the beginning. What is your earliest memory? Like of all time, or musically speaking, <laughs> I get more interesting responses when we just make it earliest memory all time. Gosh, I don't even really remember. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the fun part about this question. It's just kind of like a general elementary school mash. You know how how crazy our memories work. You know, you don't really know what's real, um, what's your real first memory. So it's just kind of a conglomeration of, mm-hmm. you know, being a, I don't know, being a little kind of loser overweight kid and getting bullied but um playing nintendo i mean just kind of that sort of thing um what about your earliest music memory um i remember i think this one's more interesting and it's probably the same kind of deal where i i probably just made it up in my head but i remember so my dad was a musician he was a singer and um he claimed he played banjo too but i never heard him play and he also played piano fairly well, like he could kind of do some honky-tonk piano. Um, I remember I was like singing in the back seat of the car. He was driving, and he was really impressed because I was singing harmony. And that kind of led down kind of a crazy path. I did chorus in elementary school, and my chorus teacher recommended me to try out for the Atlanta Boy Choir. So I ended up singing in the Atlanta Boy Choir, and they're like a professional choir, and we went to 
uh, Russia and Italy when I was with the group. And um, that was really kind of the impetus of my career, and I never really looked back since. Because it creates a certain ritual to, like, getting together with the people in the place at the time, and then you do the music. and Yeah, totally. And, and everything else becomes, like, a, a version of that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I met one of my best friends there, and he ended up playing guitar, and then I ended up playing guitar. And we started a band together when we were, I don't know, 14, 15. And we were in that band for a good good long while. And I kind of followed his trajectory. He's always been, like, better than me and... um I don't know, kind of, I like to say like a real musician, <laughs> but um, yeah, so he inspired me to do quite a bit, and then I, I think it was kind of mutual though too, because I brought him in the band, and um, we played in the band together, and that was really special and cool, and um, still kind of follows me to this day. Mm-hmm. No, that's super cool. Um, so we've talked about how there are people that were musical in your family, and your friends, in your school life, what about some artists that you might have encountered uh, early on that um, you can remember? Yeah, I think the big turning point for me. So when I was little, I liked a lot of, um, like I said, my dad was a singer, so I liked a lot of harmony groups. Like um, Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons was like my favorite. Of course, um, pretty good. And my parents listened to a lot of like. Um, are you from Atlanta? Originally? I, I'm from Detroit originally. Oh, okay. I've just been down here a long time. Okay, so we had a radio station here, an oldies radio station, Fox 97. My folks would just listen to that nonstop. So mm-hmm. that's kind of been ingrained in me as well. Um, so that was kind of like early on. And then later, the, the turning point for me, my brother-in-law um, was really into, uh, and I guess still is, uh, like punk rock. Um, mm-hmm. He's a little older. He's like 12 years older than me. And so he went to like 688 and Metroplex shows and stuff like that. And um, mm-hmm. so he was driving me to middle school one day and he played Social Distortion. And that, you know, I know a lot of people kind of bag on Social D now, but, and that's probably warranted. Um, but as an 11, 12 year old hearing punk for the first time, that was a real game changer. And I was like, oh, this is this is me now. This is what I do, and this is what I listen to. <laughs> listen to. It really became... Um... It's, like, funny about punk bands that are in that kind of pop punk category or whatever, mm-hmm. where, like, while, yes, they get nothing but uh, shade from, like, the street punks, and like you said, a lot of it's deserved, one thing that's neat about them is they do have this weird potential because of their influence in the marketplace to like break through the membrane and reach somebody with that kind of music, though. Yeah, and I don't think they were as cringy as they are now. Now they're, you know, now they're kind of like a, like a rockabilly cosplay band. But mm-hmm. at the time, you know, it was the 90s. They were still, they were still pretty much putting out good records, and um, mm-hmm. they were on the verge of that kind of turning into self-parody mm-hmm. but but for you uh that was like a you know a window opening or something oh yeah and it was like it was early it was the it was like the 1945 single mm-hmm. um that wasn't like the 90s stuff it was like the mm-hmm. i don't i don't even know what year that was yeah late 70s early 80s yeah but when they were being you know they're still crusty still right hungry, yeah still totally. hungry, you know mm-hmm. yeah gotcha no there's something about punk rock too where like um People these days, especially pop artists, really just uh, drive themselves up a wall worrying about production values and making sure everything is ultimate Grammy-level perfection. And there's so many records that I love from that punk and hardcore scene that the production values are not why you listen to those records, man. You listen to those records because you can tell those artists have written some kick-ass creative material, you know. Oh, yeah. That's not because it's, it reminds me of Beyonce or, you know, something. I don't know. Right. <laughs> so I think that uh, punk bands in particular, hardcore bands, need to maybe forgive themselves and slightly be forgiven for some crusty production values. <laughs> yeah, and even one of my bandmates, we, do, so we both do some recording and... Um, and he was talking, we went to see The Dam the other night, mm-hmm. and he was talking about, it's going to be great to see them. We were both seeing them live for the first time, and he was like, it's going to be great to see these songs live because of the production. I'm like, man, I love the production on those records. Yeah. It's like, he's like, it sounds like a like a blanket's covering everything. I'm like, 
I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm. That's what I'm used to. But mm-hmm. I I love it. I thought they of all bands of all the punk bands, they had the production that I kind of love. That big kind of grandiose mm-hmm. thing. I mean, I mean, they kind of went. They ran the gamut, really. And there's other like punk-ish or punk-adjacent bands like the Minutemen, like the way their records oh, yeah. are produced. Like they sound like they're in your living room. Totally. There's no spit polish. They didn't let any of those guys touch it. It was totally. great. <laughs> yeah, that that whole kind of Bay Area thing. Like um, I always love like Econochrist. It's kind of like a, mm-hmm. um, can, again, kind of like a crustier, more like DIY. I mean, Minutemen were DIY, but you get the gist. Yeah. The, um, the thing is, you would think Minutemen some kind of punk band because of who they're adjacent to and who they tour with. But then you listen to the record and you're like, man, am I in college? <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I just joined a fraternity and let two years <laughs> pass me by. <laughs> There's something about it that reminds you of like a college party. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, so a few other questions, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked about, you know, your early memories and some of the artists that you might have gotten in touch with and maybe how you found your window into punk. What about you going out and attending shows, either with your your older brother or or on your own? What were some of your early experiences going out and attending shows and seeing live music? Yeah, I got into the the DIY scene here in Atlanta pretty early on. I had a buddy that was really tuned into that stuff, and he just kind of, I just tagged along. So some of my earliest show memories were... um, like, I think my first DIY show I ever saw, I think I saw, like, ASUC at BLT's, which was a very short-lived mm-hmm. club, and, the, like, the Ida Fi House, and... I've seen shows there. Yeah, and uh, um, the the where, West End warehouses, like, C12, C11, you know, like, Gavin, when, when all yeah. those dudes were living over there. Metropolitan or, like, Well Street and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so when I was young, I just kind of got plugged into that stuff and saw, I mean, so many great bands. Um, some of the ones that, like, really stuck with me. And Under the Couch, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you totally. Know. That, that side of Georgia Tech. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, and it's still there, but it's not the same. It's not in the couch. I would always, that's, that's where I preferred to buy records, is I was going to, like, a place like Ida Fi, and I see that there's a band called... Roman Gabriel Todd's Beast Rising Out of the Sea or something <laughs> right. like Okay, yes, I'm buying this record. Yep. Uh, and uh, I think the most of my record collection is like bought from some songwriter at an open mic or some band at a, at a house show. Yep. And that's where I tried to get like, you know, get it a, a pulse on, on what the heck is happening down here in the Southeast. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's pretty cool, though. Um, and that just kind of carried, you didn't have as many experiences, you think, with like big box shows then or big box festivals? What Did you have any, uh, you know, uh, touch points with that stuff or did you mostly just prefer local craftspeople or touring craftspeople? Yeah, I've always preferred that. I did go to see big shows. I think my very first concert, um, it's only slightly embarrassing just because I was a kid, I didn't really know, mm-hmm. uh, was there was a free 99X, which was a radio station here at the time, concert at the Masquerade, and I went to see Baruch Assault when they were oh, yeah. when they were big. So that was my first concert that I really remember. Oh, around what era? Was it like mid-late 90s? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, like whenever they were hot. Yeah, um, I think I saw them um, like, like in 97 with Bush. So don't mm-hmm. feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean they're kind of a... They're kind of a cool band. I, no, I had a great I experience. I don't really know much about it. I just remember I yeah. was young, impressionable, and it was my first concert, and so I thought I thought I was just the coolest, you know, going to the masquerade. But you get to go to the masquerade, and that's one thing that masquerade does for people is like totally. you, you need an experience like that. Stat, and your totally. parents can tell they need to get this damn teenager out of the house. Yep. And then the masquerade happens. And this is the solution to everyone's problem. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> um. When did you feel like maybe going to shows and having these uh, musical influences in your family, friends, school group led to you feeling like maybe you're part of some kind of musical community? What were your What was that like for you? Besides I think all it, of that, I think it was gradual, mm-hmm. and I still feel it took me a long time to really find my place because I've always been kind of a square person that I just really love music, so. Yeah my fashion sense isn't <laughs> isn't necessarily up to par or 
you know, I just don't look the look or walk the walk, but I love the music. The rock and roll clothes bullshit. I gotcha. Well, I mean, no, it's it's totally cool. I just can't pull it off. And uh, <laughs> it's just not something that um, that I really care about. So I think when I got into... You feel like that affected your, your social uh, outlook maybe, somehow? Maybe. You, you, you feeling like, I don't care about this or I'm, I can't pull this off. Maybe... Maybe changing I mean, how you, how you how you glued on to your yeah I think it like I said I was kind of plugged into the scene and I knew knew folks and f- folks knew me knew me and um, our bands would play together and stuff but I don't think I really got it or clicked until really pretty late in life when I so I was in I was into surf music in like high school and played in a band for several years. And then I just kind of, I, I, I kind of got too cool for it and started getting into the like screamy stuff. And then when I walk, when I stepped back in to surf music about ten years ago, that's when I really feel like I found my people, my tribe. There you go. You know, mm-hmm. that's um, what I'm looking for. Yeah. So that's pretty late for having played music for a lot of your life before yeah, then. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then we di- are getting ahead of ourselves if we jump right to that that moment when you're feeling like you're part of something. Mm-hmm. Let's go back in time a little bit to your first uh, band and, and your first, really your first instrument aside from the choir. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny, I don't really sing or have a particularly good voice now, but uh, like I said, my buddy that I met in choir, he started playing guitar and then I started playing guitar and I never, I took some lessons and stuff, uh, but I really just wanted to like play in a band. <laughs> like I, I didn't care what it was, and so I started a a band with um, two girls on my street, and we were we we're not good. We were you know we maybe played like a cul-de-sac party or something, and then my buddy that I met in choir, his name's Jeremy. Um, he and I started a band, uh, actually a surf band. And we played together for like, I don't know, seven years. Okay. Uh, what was that band called? Do you remember? Yeah, it was called The Squares. We did, All right. We did pretty well. And it's funny, like, getting back into surf music, like when I went out and played California with my current surf band, or one of my current surf bands, people would still be asking me about The Squares. And I'm like, how the hell do you even know about this? Because, you know, mm-hmm. we were so regional. We made it as far west as New Orleans. Mm-hmm. But... We put out a couple of good records, I think, and I think they just surf music people are nuts, um, myself included. So we just kind of <laughs> find whatever we can. But that that went from you guys playing cul de sac party, you know, well you playing that, and then then you guys get together. I would like to say something maybe about these um, early rehearsal experiences of becoming tight at rehearsing with a band, not just rehearsing with the choir, mm-hmm. and also something about these early recording experiences. That's two things I'd like to characterize if we get a chance. Yeah. So what about, like, do you remember what it was like having these band practices when you were very young? Yeah. I I had a vision. I felt like, a, I feel like I still do have a vision, but I was kind of a jerk about it, you know? I was like, you're going to play this, you're going to play this, and we're going to sound like this. Um, so I think as I've gotten older, I've really tried to mellow out. And <laughs> it's like when you invite your friends over to play with action figures and you tell them how they're going to be playing <laughs> yes. with them, you know? <laughs> yes, totally. And I'm, I know I probably sound like the biggest jerk right now. And, and, uh, if you knew me back then, sorry, <laughs> but, um, I think I'm better now. And, uh, yeah. um, so it was very much kind of a dictatorship and it's funny to think like, those friends that I had back then are still my friends now, and I'm like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have stuck around <laughs> if, if I were them. Like, uh, so I think that that speaks to their character that mm. you know they were um, their stick to itiveness, I guess. Uh, and true believers, they they believed in your vision. I guess so. They were like, <laughs> I guess we so. have found our yogi. I, well, I don't yeah. know about that, but <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, recording, you yeah. know. What was your first time going into, did you guys do this all yourself, or did you go into a studio? We, let's see, we did a demo ourselves, I think. Um, Jeremy had a four-track, and I think we did some four-track recordings. This is tape now. This yeah. Is, 
It's like probably a Tascam Porta 2 yep, or something exactly. like that. I think that was exactly it. Um, <laughs> or it might have been a Fostex, but I'm yeah. pretty sure you're right. I think it's, it's, it's a, a market Tascam, equivalent. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then we went to, we cut our first record at Lead Belly uh, mm-hmm. Studios. He mm-hmm. was in like Canton, uh, Woodstock area. Mm-hmm. Now he's like incoming. Mm-hmm. Um and that was fun. I mean, we didn't know anything. We cut, I think, 17 tracks in two or three days. Yeah. That's with mixing, you know? So you call that punk rock. Th- it was very punk rock. and But you're making surf music. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it was very... We didn't realize, like, how appropriate it was, because a lot of the bands that we idolized, they're, you know, surf music started in the 60s, and it was teenagers. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of in the same boat. They were... They were all the wild people. They're... Well, yeah... Kind of. I mean, in their time, they were like, yeah, some of them like hot rods, some of them like yeah. volleyball, some of them like yeah. surfing. Yeah. yeah. But they were cutting these records real quick and they were mm. teenagers and they were playing all these teenage dances. And we were kind of doing the same thing. You know, we were teenagers. We were cutting this record real quick with very little money. I think we put it out ourselves. I think we put both of them out ourselves. Uh, we did just CDs. I think we did like 500, maybe a thousand each. Yeah. So, and they either fly right out the door, or you hold on to a case of them for years. You know, that's how it goes. Yeah, I still have quite a few boxes of this of the second one. The first one is out of print. Um, thank goodness, but the second one I have like sleeves, yeah. If, if we up. if we had like a little uh, you know like one of those um, street fairs where everybody's got uh, tables like a big um, what am I thinking about like a yard sale festival <laughs> yeah. for all the musicians that have uh, are holding on to albums. I think that'd be pretty amazing. That would be great. We should we should definitely organize that. Here, because take I, one. There's I know probably a always... hundred thousand records in storage in yeah. Atlanta oh. collectively. Oh yeah, Easy. Totally. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <laughs> Yeah, I always, um, anytime I have like a new guest over, I'm like, here, take a CD from when I was 17 years old. and, uh, like, and Or when I get hired by or quit a job, I'll just give everybody there a CD. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, give it to your friends. Give it to your enemies. Use it as a coaster. Yeah, that's a Get good these one. out of my house. If you put, use it as a coaster, you might be able to uh, turn a profit. <laughs> I think you're onto something, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you know that they had uh, music in the, in the drink coasters back in the day? Yeah, <laughs> one music per drink coaster. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Like now, we, see, I think we've done a lot more to to shine a light on 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 how that led into the time after that band. Like that 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 wasn't just like, oh yeah, I mean, my friends played in a surf band for seven years. Like, hmm. no, you guys did a lot of rehearsing. You did some recording. You said that you toured some, going out yeah. west. Uh, not west, just we like made it Texas and stuff. Well, we made it as far as uh, New Orleans, yeah. and we we played a lot of regional shows. We played in Florida and yeah. Tennessee. And, That's what you do. Yeah, you know, making friends, and then you see some band from Florida or South Carolina come to Atlanta. And you're like, oh yeah, where are you guys from? Mm-hmm. Wow, you guys do shows there. That's nuts. Yep. <laughs> and then there you are. <laughs> uh, so, but what happened next after that band that led you to your people? And how are these last uh, 10 years for you leading up to 2020? And then we'll change the subject. Well, I mean, I think I've got to backtrack a little bit. So I stepped away from surf music for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I joined, I did a bunch of stuff, kind of some self-exploratory self, um, stuff. Uh, I played in a prog band. For again about seven years, that seems to be my number. What was that band? Uh, sorry, no Ferrari. Yeah, I've definitely heard of, and certainly it's likely we've been on a bill somewhere. I, I think so. Possible. I think we were talking early, and and your like, band. I think we probably played played some bills together for sure. Mm-hmm. And um, I played. Uh, you and I have a mutual friend, Jeffrey Bootser. I played with Jeffrey Bootser for a long time. We played together about ten years. Um, 
I that, play, played mm-hmm. in a shoegaze band. What was that? Sleep Therapy. Okay. Along with everyone else in Atlanta, played in Sleep Therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, like the Zamba Land or of Montreal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I did several other things too, but then in 2012, after I, uh, a little time after I had quit Sereno Ferrari, I wanted to play surf music again. And I was at a show seeing my one of my favorite guitar players of all time, and he was playing. I think it was Bubba Palooza, and and he also played a show at Drunken Unicorn, and it was like to nobody. And I met the Mystery Men guys, mm-hmm. and they were like, "Yeah, we're uh, we're looking for a, a third guitar player slash keyboard player." And I was like, "I can do that." And so mm-hmm. um, they invited me to come to a rehearsal. And I'm like the type of person where I like to be really well rehearsed. Mm-hmm. So they were, they thought they were just going to be showing me stuff. And I was like, yeah, I know everything. You know, like I came mm-hmm. in and, um, mm-hmm. or no, I wasn't, I don't even think I was supposed to be a permanent member. But you over, you overlearned. Yeah. Yeah. I joined because our guitar player, his wife was having a baby and they had a, like a festival show lined up and they really wanted to do the show. Yeah. And, and just in case that yeah. she went into labor yeah. Um, I was the backup. Understudy. But yeah. uh, she did not go into labor, so we ended up all playing. So we did a three-guitar thing, and I've been around ever since. So that's been 10 years. That's great. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and have you done some uh, recording with them, too? Yeah. We have. They did an EP before me and then two full lengths, and we're working on another EP right now. Mm-hmm. And it's, those have been studio experiences? Or home recorded? Mostly home recorded. Okay. I think their first EP might have been in the studio. Okay. And then we did the other ones. And mm-hmm. um, the last one, we kind of switched some things uh, mid-recording. And uh, Adam from The Pinks, he ended up mm-hmm. mixing that record. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're doing this one ourselves, I think. So, I mean, we've been we've tracked it. We haven't mixed it yet. I think it's in the process, but we're doing this one ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I like to spend a lot of time, and I just can't afford to do that in a studio. So. It's true. Like that's that's why uh, I think for the first couple of years that I did this kind of studio stuff, I would home record a, a lot of pre-production, and I would just troll into the studio to do certain things, like a mm-hmm. drum take. Yeah. Or, voc- or final vocals. Yeah, I think that's or, smart, too. Or mix it at home, but do the final print down of the studio, stuff right. like that. Or just do, yeah, mm-hmm. like do drums and, and then do all the, the I, the I only easy... got the luxury of doing studios as an instrument after, you know, working for thousands of hours at it. Right. At a certain point, well, okay, there's really no reason for me to do this at home. But right. for the first couple of years, it, it seems sensible. Yeah. Um, um, so I understand why a lot of... Uh, uh, Independent artists and musicians are in that position of, of doing every, just just do everything at home. Mm-hmm. But there's you know there's certain things though that like their home recording would be bomb if it's just every now and then pop oh, on in see one of us. Totally, uh, and I, I wish you know yeah. I wish I had the funds. It's just for not it, possible for, sure. for everybody. Yeah, yeah, we understand it. Um, so you got to kind of uh, reinvent yourself back into to surf music again which has been mm-hmm. awesome and you've been working on that for several years and i'm i'm sure there's a lot of things that have led up uh, from from the time that you joined that and you recorded with them through 2020 but i'd like to ask each guest uh something about what kind of plans they had for their music life for 2020 and what uh, the situation was in, oh, in reacting man. to the changes in the marketplace. That's a doozy. Well, the big, the big, big ticket item for us for 2020 was we were supposed to play in Italy, mm-hmm. and I've never played uh, out of the country before. Other than like other bar, than choir, yeah, yeah, but never like in a band. Yeah, I've never done that, and so that was a big one, and it's the biggest surf music festival in the world mm-hmm. uh, in Livorno, Italy, which I know is odd, but mm-hmm. um, so everything got shut down and um, that was kind of it. So we'd been working on just writing and recording and doing that sort of thing since then. Um, 2020 really put a lot of things in per- perspective for me. Mm-hmm. And I think as I've kind of come away from it, 
music is less, you know, I have a family, so my family is taking over more and my music is just kind of like, I'm kind of getting to that point. I've been doing it a long time and not that I ever w- would quit or don't want to do it, but I don't know. You can only play to a handful of people for so long before you're just like, okay, like maybe I'll just do some recording on my own or whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can always create stuff. Yeah. Uh, when you start getting into like the comparison game or how big is my audience game or am I making any money game? Yeah, these kind of extrinsic analysis can cause a lot of people to exit or slow down their their activity. But I feel like each musician and, and their friends and family, like you know, we got to live through this, yeah. you know. And so whatever people have to do to like take care of their people or take yeah. care of themselves, yeah, that kind of should take first priority because there is a kind of obsessiveness that seizes us. Yep. And sometimes that's to our detriment, and we do need like. I, we do need to take a step back and take yeah. care of ourselves and our people or, or we'll be in, in an issue. Yeah, like, you kind of bring up a good point. And I, I don't want to speak to it too much, but like the news this week with the guy from Neurosis, it's just really awful. But like, oh, I don't know what oh, happened. Well, he, he self-cancellated by, by coming out saying that he's he's been abusive to, to oh. his family in, in more than one way in the course of his music career. And mm. he's officially self-resigning from music from self-cancellation for, I guess... You know, hard living for so long that he uh, is, he considers it abusive. Mm. Yep. So it sucks. But it's a, it's a situation where, like, it went so far, him not taking care of his people and himself, that, yeah, he's really done now. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and not not to that level, but... No. Um, I think that's kind of stepping back. You bring up a good point. That's one thing that, like, 2020 showed me when I got to... Because um, I lost a lot in 2020, as, as most people did. Um Basically, um, I won't get into it too much, but <laughs> but basically, um, I spent a lot of time. My my son is ten now, and I spent the first few years of his life like putting on con- not only playing concerts but putting on concerts and a music festival and um, you know. So I would be playing fifty two dates a year, which is a lot for me. It's Mm-hmm. Uh, not making any money. That's for yeah. fun. Yeah. And not spending it's like time. A de- it's a devotion. Mm-hmm. And not spending time with my family where I, you know. Mm-hmm. It's another place where devotion is deserved. Yeah. yeah. So when 2020 hit and I was at home and I was like, oh, I kind of like actually hanging out with these people. <laughs> so, <laughs> like my wife and my and my son. And This uh, isn't so bad. <laughs> yeah. And so now I just really enjoy my time at home with them. No, I think that's great, and there's there's nothing wrong with that. I'm never going to say that there is. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people saw that where, like, you know, there is this correlation in the Venn diagram between musicians and mental illness because some people have a music career and some of us think we have a music career, mm-hmm. you know, and some of us go to therapy and some of us will never go to therapy. We'll start 26 bands before we will go to therapy. Oh, yeah. You know, and so... We'll fix it in post. Yeah, we'll fix our life in post. You know, after after I die, just retcon all this stuff. There's gonna be a, sa- a dead man switch to a safety deposit box that tells you what to send the press. Uh, yeah. You know, and then we're just gonna figure it all out after I'm done. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's kind of we always like um, seeking after this mountaintop. You know, uh-huh. uh huh. Someone saying about it, and then when you get there. Oh wait, that wasn't the mountain. Top. Yeah, there's, a, there's another there's a, one though. Yeah. Like, like, mm-hmm. like. Well, wouldn't it be cool if we like could play a show? What if we could play a good show? Okay, <laughs> what if we play a good show for an audience that likes us? Okay, what if we could do all that and we could make money? Okay, could we do this more than once? Yeah, you know, it, it's just like the next mountain top. And then when you see, um, I guess uh, the artists at different levels in their career, and artists at, at this really functional, like it's a business level of their career. Man, yeah, the behavior is so different. Mm-hmm. I mean, and also, like, you can tell at a certain level, some of those people are not having yeah. as much fun as mm-hmm. they used to have. But let's just be real. So some of us think that that's what we want for ourselves. Uh, we probably need to meet more successful artists and have them explain to us, no, dear, it's not like that. Right. <laughs> uh, but I understand that, why, why someone might say that that was their reaction. Now, did this, however, <clears throat> well, you might have, like, obviously backed off of the whole obsession with playing shows and the festival thing. Did this have uh, some um, effect on your personal composition or, or recording uh, goals and objectives? Did that stuff get restructured? Did you start doing anything new personally? or? Yeah, I actually I started a new band yeah. uh, as a COVID project. <laughs> I started all these—I'm really into— there's like a real uh, 
phenomena, phenomenon, I can never remember the word, um, of all these 60s studio recordings mm-hmm. that were basically like exploitation records. So mm-hmm. they were like surf exploitation records and hot rod exploitation records. And then whatever would, whatever they felt would be next, slot cars or, um, and yes, that's the thing, uh, skiing, water skiing. I mean, mm-hmm. all sorts of crazy um, weird concept records. And it's like all the same people. It's like Wrecking Crew people, you know. I got kind of obsessed with that stuff and love those records. And they're, most of them aren't great, but there are there are some great tunes on them. And the playing's top-notch. And just to think that, like, they knocked this out for a contract in, like, an hour or two and, like, wrote, recorded, produced everything in, in an hour or two. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I didn't do it in an hour or two, but I started doing all these demos and... I've been playing with these guys for a long time. Um, actually, Sean from Small Reaction, we've been playing together for a long time. And uh, so I and my brother-in-law, and we kind of brought these guys in, and they fleshed out. And so we're, do, we're cutting a record soon, and we start playing live. We've only played a few times, but that's been really fun. And those guys are like my best buds and my, you know, family. <laughs> It's like you get to create a new character in the, in the video game and, or in the RPG, you know, yeah. and, and uh, so it gives you this, this um, uh, I don't know, this momentum from being current or, or, mm-hmm. or recent or like, you know, it's not some, some old dream. It's all new dreams, you know. Yeah, and it's kind of a throwback because I usually, I love progressive music, mm-hmm. like anything that's, I mean, it doesn't have to be super technical or whatever, but just... I like artists that push themselves to their maximum, you know, mm-hmm. or do something different with what they have, like or have an atypical structure or a non-repetitive yeah. structure. Yeah, uh, or or even even if it is like, um, I know this is the antithesis of, but I love like Johnny Ramone because I think mm-hmm. he just made the most with what he had at mm-hmm. the time. But mm-hmm. anyway, um, yeah, I love progressing stuff, and so I try and push myself and my music. Um, and it gets a little, I think, cerebral and heady and silly sometimes. So the the group I started as a cover project as kind of like a sixty throwback, trying to trying to re- make it quickly like lay down these ideas as I'm having them um, was oh. something a little different for me, and it was a little bit more simplistic the music and uh, and fun I guess. What is this new project called? It's called the Frigidaires. The Frigidaires. Mm-hmm. Okay, like the uh, refrigerators. Gotcha. Right. Get it, Chad Shivers and the Frigidaires. Oh man, mm-hmm. yeah. just making the hair stand it's, up on my arm right it's now. It's bad, I know, but um, I love it. <laughs> so that's awesome. We got to talk about something uh, current that you're excited about. Do you have any more imminent shows or releases that you want to talk about on this pod that are coming up? Yeah, I got a lot going. On. Yeah, <laughs> a lot you can, going you on. can go ahead and hit the litany. Uh, we'll have this up as soon as possible. This um, episode, I'm playing. Uh, I got some shows with small reactions. We're playing, um, probably not this. This probably won't be out by the time. But playing this Friday at the Earl with uh, Jacuzzi Boys. That should be a fun show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're playing the East Atlanta Strut with a whole slew of good bands. That's September twenty fifth. Nate. Um, the Mystery Men are playing Tiki Fever in Sarasota, uh, October second. I think is the date. Um, and then the following week we have our uh, big music festival that I put on with my wife, um, the Southern Surf Stomp Fest, mm-hmm. and we've got eight bands. It's free. It's in Avondale Estates at Little Tree Art Studios. Oh yeah. Um, so that's kind of what I'm really pushing right now is that. Yeah, the big fest. Mm-hmm. What's the date on that fest again? Saturday, October eighth. Saturday, October eighth, over in Avondale Estates. Correct, and it's from noon to about ten. It's free. There's like we've got a ton of. Like art vendors. I mean, oh, it's that's just, cool. So it, it's like you got that street fair vibe. It totally does. We've mm-hmm. got you know food trucks, and I, mm-hmm. my wife is the vendor coordinator. No, I love that kind of thing. Like where I come from, Detroit, we had some really great street fairs that were a big part of me coming up, and uh, I got lucky enough to book them a couple of times. The Fourth Street Fair. And then I uh, didn't get the book, The Dally in the Alley, but that was another huge one. And that kind of mm-hmm. thing where it was just like anything goes. I got exposed to so much stuff that it was just like 
a shock, like seeing the Detroit Cobras when I'm a teenager or sure. something like that will do something to you. So I think it's great that uh, whenever I see something like that happening in Atlanta, it's awesome you're doing that. Yeah, it's a lot It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, but it's a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, of course it is. I mean, someday we'd like to have um, a Dude Hugs Fest, but at the time we're just doing these uh, quarterly uh, showcases. But we're thinking about once a year making it do a larger thing. We just know that that's not a small thing. And so we're going to continue developing that idea. But uh, awesome to talk to somebody that's been doing that for years. How long have you been doing this fest? This is our seventh year. Yeah, that's that's significant. So that's awesome you're able to do that for so long. Um, and this has been a great talk. We're not quite done yet. I still have a few other questions. Sure. But these last few questions are just kind of open-ended. Mm-hmm. I would like to know if there's anybody that you can think of that um, you believe would benefit from being a guest on the Group Hugs podcast. And if you can think of them on the spot, Right, or you can just text me or email me some people that you think might be enjoy being on the show. Okay, yeah, I know you've already had a bunch of my. You know, you always just think of like your buddies that you're mm-hmm. that really close to that you do. But I might have missed somebody, and so I ask everybody. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'll have to think on that one because this is resulting in this strange like Wikipedia of Atlanta music. But instead of making all these Wikipedia articles myself with no insight, I let the artists just come and talk and tell us about their lives. We do a lot of that. And we've had some interviews with people in other cities, and that's actually a developing uh, story. But I've been doing a big focus on Atlanta for the last couple of years. And um, I'm just going to continue going until we think we've got a, a thick enough compendium. And I think by then they'll have made some more Atlanta musicians. Yeah. Um, well, one thing you mm-hmm. uh, you get you get into a lot of the history of, of the artists and stuff, and that, I think that's really cool. Um, do you ever have non-artists in, just like people, like promoters or... Yeah, we have other like interest podcasts that we do with like sound guys or booking agents or producers cool. or like DJs. I tried to talk to a DJ like I'm talking to a musician. We realized that has to be a different podcast, mm. you know, and so we started figuring that out. And, uh, you know, um, certainly we're interested in more than one thing. But our big focus here at Group Hugs has been getting the stories of musicians like in their own words. And then because it's really inspired by a lot of musicians that I know that have passed away. And mm. I don't have the possibility to interview them about their yeah. life and so there's a lot of details that were lost but those little things like you'll mention an old house venue or an old band mm-hmm. and for all we know this might be one of the few documents that points right. back to that and and that's what i'm trying to create um and that leads me kind of my next question because i've been asking all of my guests this as well because it's it's a big motivator for me and it, and it seems like it's touched everybody in the music community but i'd like to ask if there's anybody that um, was a big part of your musical life that's no longer with us that um you'd like to talk about or to give a shout out to because some, that's something we try to cover and point sure. a light on. Yeah. Um, and if you can't, if you're being put on the spot and you can't think of somebody right this second, don't feel bad. You can always email me or text me later. No, actually, Jeremy and I started our first surfing when we were teenagers and the guy that introduced me to like the DIY punk rock scene, mm-hmm. um, his name was Jeff um, and he was in the band and he was uh, he was killed um, t- 2000. Mm-hmm. Mm. So he was really young. I think he was 20. You know, I'm in my 40s now, and he was a year older no, than me. No, that's messed so, up. Yeah. Yeah. So he was killed early What was on. his full name? Um, Jeff Patterson. Jeffrey Patterson. Okay. And such a big figure, uh, great skateboarder. Uh, um, I mean, he was just kind of, he always seemed like ahead of the curve on everything. Like, um, whether it was like, you know, anarcho crust grind punk or, or like veganism or, or whatever, whatever he was into. And he, he always went big and, um, yeah. And he ended up being in a band called Sinosher and they were amazing. They were like really screamy. Um, what was the name of the band again? Sinosher. Yeah. It was right before my arrival in Atlanta and probably, yeah. So they were they were pretty great, and uh, mm. uh, you know we think about him a lot. Um, there was a surf band from Atlanta that was a huge inspiration, uh, the Penetrators, and mm-hmm. I've seen them before. I've worked their shows, mm-hmm. and uh, the two guitar players were brothers, and uh, and uh, Rip and Spanky were their were their stage names, their surf names. And we lost both of them, um, one in a car accident and the other to cancer. Mm. And so those guys are sorely missed. Um, Some big figures, yeah. They were, I mean, they were huge and mm-hmm. huge in the southeast. They had this mm-hmm. whole 
like Surf Spy. Mm-hmm. Um, they had like like cards, uh, the Southern Surf uh, Syndicate, and you know our festival Southern Surf Stomp Fest. That's no coincidence. Yeah. So. Um, they had the Southern Surf Syndicate, and you you could be a member. You know, all you had like to do a fan was fan club. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it wasn't even that. It was like you're just you're part of this like spy surf gang. I mean, it's silly, yeah. but it's a gag. It's a movement. Yeah. 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 But it was it was fun, and um, yeah, those guys were huge. So I mean, I, I they left they left a big impression on you. Oh, huge! Sure. I mean, that was the first surf surf show I I saw. Yeah. Um, over That's... at like West Midtown. Uh, some venue that I only saw that one show at. And you see, that's why I think this type of thing is so important, though, because like people are like, oh, well, yeah, you mean you play in a band and you play shows? I'm like, yeah, whatever. You make these local records. <laughs> are you on Spotify? You know, all these questions. But mm-hmm. the thing is, is something like some bar band or a local bar band could could develop into something that can go and, and be put on in a, in a place that's accessible mm-hmm. in a way that it can change people's lives. Oh, yeah. And like, like totally permanently change the direction of their life and so that's like one of the things that's attached to the kind of work that we do and even if we're like oh well whatever success a lot of us um i mean there's something to be said for that yeah like what kind of person would i be if i didn't play shows what kind of person would you be if you didn't play shows if you hadn't been to that show who would you mm-hmm. become? You right. Know? And if that had not even been possible, or if the, the venue was like, well, we're not going to make enough money, so let's not do the show. You know, if, if cynicism won, who knows what right. our lives would be. So, you know, I like to I think about that. Um, so one last thing, I guess, is I'd um, like each guest, if you can, to send me a song that you'd like used to write out the end of the episode. Sure. And if you can think of one right now that you'd like to select that you're thinking of sending me, Maybe we can talk about the song a little bit as we write out the end of this episode. What's a song of yours that you think would be cool to put on? Uh, sure. I think one of the songs... Something that, that you worked on. Yeah. Uh, one of the songs that I really love is uh, by the Mystery Men. And I didn't write it. Our drummer wrote it, actually. Mm-hmm. And it's just a gorgeous song. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Sky Lanterns. It's All right. our latest record. And I actually even named my company Sky Lantern Music. Um because of it, he just he just knocked it out of the park with that one. So, so you like this song? I love this song. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous and it's fun to play, and it's one that I don't know. It's been in our set for years now, and I don't I don't see it really going away. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a it's a great song. And Terry, our drummer, just he killed it. So good, dude. That's so awesome. So Sky Lanterns by the Mystery Men is a song mm-hmm. we're about to hear. And our guest today has been Chad Shivers here on the Group Hugs podcast. I'm your host, Matt Greenia. We're recording at Diamond Street Studios in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, you've got this, uh, what is it again? It's the, the festival coming up on October 8th. Will you want to announce that one more time yeah, for me? Yeah, Southern Surf Stomp Fest. Just search it. You'll find us. The Southern Surf Stomp Fest in uh, Avondale Estates on October 8th uh, with multiple bands uh, starting that Saturday around noon. That's pretty cool. Uh, and... Um, yeah, I've been a fan of some of your work from afar for a while now. So see how this happens. Like we can both be involved in this scene for decades, and and for whatever reason, we haven't had an encounter like this. So know, that's one of the reasons why I do this because I'm sometimes shocked who doesn't know one another and who has never played music together. And I'm like, are you kidding? Mm-hmm. Like I introduced Billy Fields to Spencer Garn once in here, and I was like, you guys don't know each other? That's mm-hmm. disgusting. So I'm glad we're able to do something about that today. Thanks for coming by, and I'll look out for your future endeavors. Awesome. Um, Thanks so much, Matt. Have a good day. You too.